The scariest thing about Anthony is he's just kind of like a blank slate. I don't know if he has empathy. We've now learned Anthony Tompley is accused of shooting and killing his father. He died at the hands of his own son. He said his father physically attacked him. I did not see any bruising or injuries to Anthony. He was definitely shooting to kill. This is not just a random shooting. Maybe there's a reason. I shouldn't be charged with anything. Because I didn't do anything wrong. Welcome to episode 222 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mark. Now, joining me on today's episode is the criminal lawyer, Jarrett Ambo. You may know this name from the most recent and extremely successful Netflix true crime documentary, I Just Killed My Dad. I usually use this podcast to go into great detail about a band's brand new album, maybe an author's new book, or a film director's brand new project. But in this case today, I don't want to go into great detail about this documentary. I want to keep it completely spoiler free, because this is a documentary that hit me really hard. It's only a three part documentary, but as soon as I saw it, that night I wanted to do something with Mark and me as quickly as I could to include someone from this show. And I'm absolutely thrilled that I was able to get Jarrett Ambo to join me on today's episode of Mark and Me. The documentary is all about a 17-year-old kid called Anthony Template. He shot and killed his own father back in 2019 in Louisiana in their own home. It was a shocking event but grew even more depressing and complicated as the details came out only a few weeks after it. And as I said, thanks to this amazing Netflix documentary, I Just Killed My Dad, it examines this difficult case and reveals such a complex and extremely dark series of events that took place on the build-up to this homicide. And the whole way through, Jarrett Ambo represents the amazing Anthony Template. It's such an amazing eye-opener on how the justice system works and is an amazing story from start to finish, but I don't want to give any more away. This is a brand new subject matter for Mark and me, true crime, and it's something that I've really wanted to get involved in, and bringing something new to Mark and me is something that I always want to do, and I can't believe that I've actually got Jarrett to join me today. It's a really big insight to the case, his life, how you can turn things round, but more than that, it's just someone that I've wanted to speak to the moment I saw the documentary, and that interview is coming up in just a couple of moments' time. But before we get there, I always like to use the intro for each and every episode of Mark and Me to discuss my last guest. And on episode 221, only a few days ago, I was joined by Chris Beaven Lee. Yes, this is the guy from the amazing band The Ever Living. And I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone that tuned in, shared the episode and gave some incredible feedback. But today, this is a big one for me. 
As I said, if you haven't seen I Just Killed My Dad, go and watch it on Netflix and then come back and listen to this interview because I want it to be completely spoiler-free for you guys. This documentary blew my mind, made me so emotional, and that's why I've done this interview today. So I think the best thing to do right now is to get to the interview with me and Jarrett Ambo. So here's me and Jarrett talking all things crime. But I just can't keep it another night Don't confuse, I'm not your savior No one can save you So Jarrett, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. Jarrett, what I want to do today for people that are tuning in that might have discovered you via Netflix or may have discovered you because of the podcast for the very first time is get an idea about you growing up. So let's take it right back to the early days. Can you talk to me um, maybe about your childhood and at what point you started to get an interest in a career in law? So I was uh, um, I was raised in a home uh, with with parents who were both loving and drug addicts. I mean, I, I, maybe that's difficult to, to reconcile, but um, they always expressed love to us. I was never physically abused, but we were grossly neglected. Right. Um, we were not. My birthdays were forgotten. Uh, my mother and father put uh, their entertainment in front of us um, and eventually would not be together in a way that. Um, you know, my father would go off for months and months and months and months at a time. And my mom would be left with us and she wasn't great at that. And so um, we were neglected, you know, I would come home and, uh, and sometimes the, the dinner I would have would be lettuce. Like I would just eat what was left in the refrigerator. Like, Oh, there's some lettuce here. And I'll, I remember my aunt coming in one day, she's like, why are you eating lettuce? I'm like, it's the only thing in the house. That's all we have. Like what, what, like it's my thing. I'm, I'm nine years old. Like, what are you talking about? You know? So so that, that was my life growing up. It was uh, it felt very hopeless. There were times, you know, where um, I would I re- recall vividly um, sitting in my room just feeling like, is this it? You know, is this my life? Um, and it was strange because I'd come from a very successful, very public family. My uncle was a judge. My grandfather owned a bank. We had very we had had money and education. And here I was seeing all these other family members with all this success and then in my house, it was completely different. It was just the opposite of that. And so it was, uh, it was very sad. It was a very difficult time for me. And, and frankly, a lot of struggle where there were many times I didn't know if it would ever change. Like I didn't know, would I ever get out of this? I would dream, I've always been a dreamer and I would dream of being other things and think, well, those are just dreams that, that's never going to come true. As a child, obviously, you're not that aware of the bigger picture and why the drugs are happening and why people are taking these drugs. And being at home with that going on is obviously quite traumatizing. But at the same time, with those foundations of successful parents and successful family members and the business is doing well, why do you think your parents' way was to go down that route of something that could be such a, a really depressing and dangerous road to take? I was born in 69 and I think my parents got into drugs in the seventies um, in the hippie movement, right? They were just, yeah. it was recreational, right? It was, Hey, let's have some fun. Everybody's smoking marijuana. And it, for some people that 
worked out fine. They just smoked some marijuana and they figured it out. For some people, it went south. It got much worse. And, and my parents were some of the latter. Uh, it went south. It turned into dysfunction and difficulty and much heavier drugs and um, the drug dealing scene, all that kind of stuff, being the being the guy who gave, gave the drugs to all the people around. And, and, and uh, you know, again, my parents are still married almost 60 years later. In fact, their 60th anniversary is coming up next week. So they managed to figure it out. And they also got sober in 1981. They both went to alcohol and drug treatment and got sober. And so, so there's a lot of recovery that the, the, the Netflix documentary doesn't show, but that defined me. Those seventies defined me was my, my, you know, growing up moments and, uh, and growing up in that very, very terrible atmosphere. Uh, how did you kind of avoid it yourself going down that route with it being around you every day? Did you just want never want to be like them in a, you know, I grew up and I wanted to be my dad. He was my superhero and my idol. But I suppose, did you try and look at it as a, I want to avoid that because I can see the damage it's doing? Or were you just kind of doing everything you could to survive and just kind of keep yourself mentally positive? No, I was terrible at avoiding it. I went to treatment myself in 1986 for the first oh. time. Okay, so, <laughs> so I have a lifelong struggle with alcohol. Uh, I don't do drugs. I, I, that is one of the things that I took from it was I saw them do drugs. And so I thought, well, if I just don't do drugs, it'll be fine and I'll be good. You know, I'll just like never do drugs. I'll never smoke marijuana. I'll never do any kind of drugs at all. I'll just drink and it'll be cool. And then, I, and then it just was terrible, you know. <laughs> and so I've had this lifelong struggle um, with alcohol. Um, you know, I've, I've been sober again for a while now. Uh, I stayed sober for 16 years from 16 to 32 went back to drinking and then kind of went back and forth with it. It's something that's just, you know, been prevalent in my life. And, and, and look, and I embrace it in a way that I understand that it's my personality, right? That yeah. it's part of who, part of what makes me exceptional at what I do is part of what also makes me, you know, really shitty sometimes at life. And, and I own that. I mean, it's funny because in the Netflix documentary, there's me talking, you know, about, you know, God getting about a lot of bar fights and it's out of context. Cause what's true about that statement when I made it to them was, I was talking about my shortcomings. I was talking about the problems I created in my life and I've created through drinking and like some of the leftovers of my childhood that have been very hard for me to solve, some very hard problems. And so, you know, I, I, but I don't blame, my, look, I'm not one of those people to blame my parents. I've been an adult for a long time. So now it's on me, you know, <laughs> their, their, their responsibility ended a long, long time ago. So now it's just about me being a better human being and I, I'm, I'm working at that, you know. So, so when you were growing up, um, obviously you were in this household, drugs were being taken around you, you were living with addiction. At what point was it that you thought to yourself, I want a better life than this, I want to break away, I want to make a name for myself? Because, tell me if I'm wrong, but you joined the army, didn't you, not long after the Twin Towers incident, the September 11th um, Twin Tower attack. And what was it that spurred this on for you to want to go and join the army after such a traumatic or, you know, incident across the world? So I'd made the decision to go back to school. I had uh, dropped out of high school and gotten my general education diploma, which is just a test. I quit high school in the 10th grade. And uh, at 29 years old, I decided to go back to school. I'd always wanted to be a lawyer. I'd always looked up to my uncle, uh, who was a judge, and I'd always wanted to be an attorney. And I thought, okay, I'm 29. I'm, I'm useless. I, it's an interesting story. I had a guy tell me one day we were at a, a food conference. I was in the food business. I was a sommelier. Yeah. And he said yeah. to me, there was this guy and he said, that guy over there has got more money in his pocket than you and I will ever have. And it hit me like a freight train. And I thought, oh my God, I'm limiting myself. I'm limiting myself by, by not using my mind, by not being expansive in my thinking. I've put myself in a box. 
I, I excused myself from that conversation, drove over to the university here in Baton Rouge, LSU, and signed up, declared academic bankruptcy, and signed up for college uh, as, an under, as a freshman undergraduate at 29 years old. And so that's kind of been the story of my life has been those kinds of decisions. Like decisions hit me and I'm maybe I'm a little crazy enough to just say, all right, then I'm just going to do it. Let's do it. And so that's what happened in 9-11. Uh, the attack came. And I, um, after watching it for 30 days, 40 days, I joined the army right 40 days after 9-11. I thought to myself, my grandparents, they served. When World War II occurred, they, they ponied up, you know? Yeah. I thought, why am I special? Like, what's special about me that stops me from doing this? Like, why should I not risk my life and myself, myself, my safety and my health to defend my country? And so I went and signed up for basic training at um, at that time. Uh, I was 31 years old in basic Absolutely training. No at fear at all. I want to go out. And unfortunately for my wife at the time, we're not married anymore. But uh, I went I just went home and told her, I was like, hey, look, I joined the army today. She's like, what? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to basic training later on this year. <laughs> Some like, people oh buy a sports car as a midlife crisis or something like this, but you decided to go out and fight only 30 days after one of the biggest terror attacks of all time. That's it. You know, I decided, I was like, let's go, let's pony up, you know, let's do it. And then I uh, went to basic training and came home and volunteered to go downrange. Uh, uh, I'd finished my undergraduate degree. I'd have been accepted to law school. And I said, you know what, I, I'm going to get drawn out of law school. They're going to they're going to take me out of school. And, and so I'm just going to go now. And I went to my unit and said, let's go. I want to go down range in 2004. I was like, let's go. So. Wow. But you were still studying, weren't you? While you were there, while you were learning, while you were in the army, you didn't give up on your studies and still carried on with this continuation of the law studies. Yeah. I finished my, uh, I actually had, I had, I was in, when I went to, to volunteer to go, it actually kind of backfired on me. They took me out of my last semester of school <laughs> It, it happened a little faster than I wanted it to. So I finished my undergraduate degree online while I was deployed to uh, Kuwait and Iraq. And then when I came home, the law school at LSU had allowed me to defer my enrollment for a year. So when I came home, they honored my enrollment and allowed me to start law school at that time. So Wow. And I went, I went straight back to law school. And then obviously when you were then back in law school, was it this decision that you knew was the right for you? Did you know that you didn't want to take any steps back or do something different? Cause you've gone out there and become, you know, someone in the army, which is very different to law school. You couldn't get much more of a contrast, but did you know you'd made the right decision when you were then fully focused on continuing this study? My life was supposed to be uh, in a spent in a courtroom. That yeah. is literally who I am. I was born to do what I do now. And I feel that in every fiber of my being. And so I felt it then. I felt it when I made that decision with that guy in that conference. I felt it when I went to, to Iraq. I knew I was coming back to go to law school. I felt it every day that I was there. And I've felt it every day since. This is just who I'm supposed to be. I, I, I'm living my life's purpose. And um, there was never any doubt for me. It was, it was, I mean, it was just, I never wavered from this is what I'm going to do, period. That's amazing. And was it the fact that you'd had a real rough childhood, you'd been around some really bad times, and you kind of want to help people avoid the life that you had to live? Yeah, 100%. Nothing, nothing uh, strikes me in my soul like someone who's helpless, right? Like someone who can't help themselves, someone yeah. who can't make the fight themselves, right? It's why I joined the army, right? People attacked us, it's time for us to go and stand up. And not everybody can do that. I don't I'm, I don't, I'm not mad at anybody who can't, but I was willing because I knew I can sustain this. I can go and fight and be okay when I come back. You know, I can walk into a courtroom and just pick the worst fight possible with the district attorney if I need to. It's fine with me. 
they want to disparage me or talk bad about me. Who cares, man? Like I'm willing to do what it takes to defend my clients because I'm so willing to reach out to those people who need help to give them a hand and say, no one believes in you, but I do. Let's go fight this thing together. No matter what, let's just go fight this thing together. You and I, let's go make war. And I tell them, <laughs> look, we may not win, but no one will ever forget the time they spend in the courtroom with us, period. And, and that's just how I go about it, right? And it feels, sometimes it feels like, oh, this guy's trying to be tough. I've had people tell me that, like, oh, he's trying to be tough. I'm like, okay, maybe, but I am. Like, I'm serious about it. I'm going to, they're never going to forget having tried a case with me. I'm going to make sure they don't, you know? And it's not about being tough. It's about being prepared. It's about working my butt off to make sure that I know everything about the case, that I know the law, that I know the evidence code. I mean, it's, it's, it's not about tough. It's about no. I'm willing to do the work. The, I'm the, willing big, to do the, work. The, the big word that comes to my mind when I'm talking to you, and even when I watch the Netflix documentary is passion. Um, that is something that, you know, you can't fake. And, you know, I could see it all the way through the documentary. You're doing it because it's in your heart, because it's in your soul. And I'm sure when you met Anthony, you knew this person needed support, needed guidance. And you could probably see bits of yourself in him as a child thinking, I don't want this guy to turn out wrong. I don't know, really going down the wrong paths and you need to help him and support him. And you could see that from the moment the documentary started. And I think that's something I've already got from you today is that you want to make sure people aren't badly treated. Yeah. I want people to have a chance, you know, Yeah, like I wanted him. He had been stifled so much. His father had taken his humanity from him and taken everything that was that we think of ourselves as individuals, right? The decisions we make, the things we think and love, the, the, the dreams we have, his father had taken all of that from him. And so when I met Anthony, what I wanted to do was give it back. Let's, yeah. let's give, let's talk about hope. Let's talk about your dreams. Let's talk about where you want to be. Let's build you, build this young man up and sort of turn him loose in the world with some power, like with some, 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 um, you know, some, something to sustain his growth and to change his life. It was like, Hey man, I believe in you and let's start to make other people believe in you too. Because when people start believing in you, it's super powerful. You're like, oh my God, maybe I can really do this thing. Like I was kind of doubting myself, but now all these people believe in me, man, I can do it. You know, I, I think I can do this. And I wanted to get Anthony in that place where, Anthony, let's get some people to believe in you. Because when you, when you start to get that, it gets momentum. And then the momentum is like, holy cow, I can really do these things that I, I couldn't, didn't think I could do before. And that's what I wanted to give Anthony. That's why I took this case. And that's what I was going to ask. So tell me about the first time you met Anthony. What was it like? What was the situation? Where were you? Because you've had to turn around someone from literally completely in the dark, who's been beaten, who's been told they're not good enough, who's had the worst experiences ever. And to try and find that bit of hope to be able to then grow that and turn this around, that's, that's the biggest challenge ever. So talk to me about the first time you actually met him. So I started with just pure acceptance, you know? Like I just went in with, man, just the way you are is just perfect. Like yeah. I, I just, that was it. Like that was the message in the beginning was no, whatever you feel. If you feel sad about your dad, it's perfect. If you feel not sad about it, it's perfect. If you want to talk to me about the case, that's cool. If you don't, that's cool. It's like everything was like, I, I really went about it with, man, look, wherever you are is okay. But let's figure out where you are so we know where we're starting. Like that's cool, you know, like whoever you are and whatever you're going on with you right now is fine. But we're, you and I are going to, we're going to 
we have this thing that we have this target that we're going to hit, you know, like we're going to hit this target of keeping you out of jail, but let's just kind of figure out where we are now and wherever that is, it's real. Okay, man. I'm really chill with it. So, and that's kind of how I went about it. And I went about it sort of in the tone I am now. It wasn't serious and it wasn't stilted. It was say, man, I'm chill with where you're at. I'm real good with it. This is real hard. And we got a little, a, a kind of a tough road in front of us, but let's just go and fight it, man. I can't guarantee you an outcome. I can't tell you how this is going to end. The story's going to end, but let's tell it together. Let's you and I, you know, band together and, and go do this thing. And, uh, and I won't leave your side. I won't abandon you. I won't quit on you. I won't, you know, none of that shit. Let's just, you know, let's do it. And, and I started to try to build trust with him, right? And yeah. the other thing I did with him was, which is a, a way we build trust with, with jury, with juries in the, in the trial context is I shared something about myself, something authentic and real, you know, I shared some of my own pain with him, right? Like, here's where I am, Anthony, here's what went on with me in life, or here's what, and I forgot which story or what I told him, but I, I, I shared something of myself with him to say, hey man, I'm willing to be vulnerable and authentic with you. I'm willing to just be me. I'm not some superhero. I'm not a can't win every case. I'm just a guy who believes in you. And I'm a flawed guy, right? I got a lot of character defects. I'm not proud. I got a lot of bullshit, you know, <laughs> like I'm trying to get better every day. And, and so, because I wanted him to see that a, I believed him in him. I wanted to express love to him without telling him I love you. I wanted to express like the acceptance part of that love and the, and the, and the understanding part of it, but also wanted to say, Hey, I'm willing to just, be a person with you too. I'm willing to connect with you maybe in, in a way that people, other people had not in his life. And so uh, that's what I, that was the prevalent. That was what is prevalent to me about that conversation, that first conversation. Because the case was so complicated. And like you said, it was never going to be an easy one. Did you ever feel that maybe you've bitten off more than you could chew because of the stakes that, you know, there was a lot of pressure on you. And then for this to be documented um, with Netflix, which is on a huge scale, this really was something that you must have thought at one point, like this is a hell of a battle that I need to win. Oh my Lord. I don't <laughs> have a lot of self-doubt. <laughs> self-doubt is not a thing that I do. Uh, very, I'm self-deprecating at times, but self-doubt is not. Uh, I firmly believe that I can win every battle. I think it kind of have to be that way, frankly. Yeah, of course. Uh, most of my battles are difficult, right? I mean, I'm taking on the power of the government most of the time endless resources, endless investigators, endless law enforcement. You know, they have hundreds of attorneys oftentimes. And so, you know, we're always overwhelmed. If, if things things that overwhelm me or that I thought were difficult would, would discourage me, then I would be very bad at what I do. In fact, the truth of it is, is that I've said people this, I said this all of my life. If you tell me I can't do something, then you're almost assuredly that I'm going to do it. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's in my personality to even seek out the fight, the difficult fight, the, the the high mountain to climb, because that's what turns me on. That's I'm like, oh yeah, let's do it. Now this is is this tough? Oh yeah, let's go. You know, like this is this is exciting. Like I want to show people that we can do it. I want to show people that we can overcome. I want to show people that we're good enough. And maybe that's my own malfunction, right? Maybe I'm broken inside somewhere where I continually have to prove that I'm good enough. But it's cool because I'm using it for good things. You know, <laughs> I love it. And hearing it, you know, um, kind of really gives me drive and passion. And I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, if you, if any challenge is given to you, just bring it on. That's your attitude. That's the kind of feeling I get from you is like, doesn't matter whatever obstacles are thrown at me. I'm going to get over that next hurdle you throw at me. Yeah. I'm a, I'm an unbelievably resilient survivor. I'm it's just ingrained in my body and every, every cell of my body 
that I just will not give up. I will not allow myself to be beaten. And I, and I convey that and I, you know, I kind of grab arms with my client and we, my clients, plural, all of them. And we go yeah. through that together. It's like, let's, let's just fight this thing together, dog on it. You know what I mean? Let's do what we can do. You know? And did it feel like there was more pressure on you because it was being documented because crime documentaries right now are the in thing, aren't they? Everyone's absolutely obsessed with them. Stuff like making the murderer and all these stuff that gets onto Netflix become huge and everyone's talking about it and you see online it trending and you knew that this would be a talking point for many people. So once it was being made and then distributed by Netflix, which is just, you know, on the biggest global scale you could ever imagine. Did you feel there was more pressure on you? Did you feel like, oh my God, like the whole world's eyes are watching me do this trial? So I began with a lot of, look, it's, it's not possible to not be affected by the cameras, right? The, the, it's just something that happens. Psychologically, there's no way to be involved in something like that and for it not to have an effect on my thinking. But I figured out early on that I had absolutely no control on how the story was going to be told. I realized early on that we were filming hundreds of hours of, of video and that there was no way that it was all going to get in. And so I realized because I had no control over the final product that I, I might as well just do my thing and, you know, and move on. Yeah. So, you know, sure, I, I'll admit that I did some grandstanding that somewhere in the back of my mind, I was always thinking about, you know, what's this going to mean to my life, you know? I've told people, you know, I took this case pro bono before I knew anything, before I was contacted by anyone, any production company, Netflix, anything like that. Um, but when that occurred, when they came in, of course, I knew, oh, in the end, this may have some benefit for my business and myself personally. I knew that. And I don't want to pretend like that wasn't part of what my thinking was at that point. Um, but it was always about what could these people do for Anthony. And eventually they would provide the money to hire this expert. I paid some of that out of my pocket as well, but they provided some of the money to hire this expert that I think made the difference in this case. And when you watched it back, were you kind of happy with the way that it was told, the way it was edited, the way it was produced? Because with a team of very skilled editors, you can shape any story to go a way it can. But I feel that you came across as a hero on it. I feel that, you know, no one could ever say anything bad about you, the way you handled the case. And you always had... Anthony's best interests at heart and you could see there was a connection between you and I think you know you must have been happy with the way that you came across on this documentary I was happy with the way that it was told for sure I think they stayed true to the story itself I think they showed if you really watch it and you and you really you know you really consider the story you see the the difficulty the district attorney had in coming to that final decision. you see the emotion of it you see this journey from Anthony and like figuring out Anthony. You see my own, frankly, my own journey of trying to figure out whether or not this was, you know, whether Anthony was actually uh, innocent or whether or not this was just a story being told. I mean, these are real questions, right? And they're real questions in every case. But I, so I love the way that they told that story, the journey. And I thought that they were very fair to really everybody in the in the documentary. Everyone is represented fairly as who they are in life. Uh, yeah. Anthony's very quiet and very reserved and rarely shows emotion. You know, I'm kind of crazy and I say crazy things and they, <laughs> they even showed that. So it was like, okay, you know, this is cool, you know, and, and yet they were honest enough to show that we did hard work to make this result. And I think yeah. that that was important that they didn't just say, Oh, it was the kindness of these prosecutors. And it's like, well, it was for sure. That plays a role, but there was a whole lot of work that went into encouraging that final decision uh, by the defense team. So. 
Yeah. And were you proud to watch it back? Were you like really just kind of glad it shed the light on it that it should do because it could have gone either way. And, you know, if this had been put out there and it hadn't gone the way, there could have been so much uproar and so much hate online, but I can't see that you'd have got any hate from this. Yeah. Look, personally, it was incredible. You know, it's unbelievable to have your personal story out there and, and just, and you know, it's just really unbelievable for Anthony. It's incredible to have Anthony's story out there, but it's also, I think very important. You know, we have a different criminal justice system than you all do. It's, it's adversarial here. And oftentimes criminal defense attorneys are looked at as being unnecessarily adversarial yeah. um, representing criminals and doing bad things. And so I think it was also really great for my profession, for that story to have been told in that way. And to, to at least put the stuff on the screen that showed that you can be a criminal defense attorney and be an honorable, reasonable person and do the right thing. That's not, you, you know what I mean? Like you, you, that it's different than this impression that defense, criminal defense attorneys are somehow terrible and, and criminals themselves, but rather we're just people just working in the system and figuring out how to make it right. You know? Yeah. And were you prepared for the response? Because obviously you must be nervous thinking, I hope people take to this documentary. I hope it does well. Netflix have obviously invested in this. And I'm sure it was the top five in the UK for about three or four weeks. I know in America it did really, really high numbers. And Netflix must be so happy because everyone I've spoken to loves this documentary. And you know what it's like? Someone tells their friends and you start seeing it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And everyone I know is starting to absolutely adore this documentary. Yeah, you know, I was not prepared. <laughs> I was not. And, and the, the director sent me, when it hit number two um, in the U.S. on Netflix, the director screenshotted it and sent it to me. She's just so brilliant. She's incredible. Yeah. She sent it to me, and I, and, I, and I told my wife, I was like, I think this is really good. <laughs> like, I, think, I think this is real good for a documentary. I, mean, I, think, I think this is a really big deal, you know? But I, I don't know because it's not my business, you know? I, I I'm just not familiar with it, but it's been an incredible response. The response has been so sweet, so loving, so kind. I mean, I just am overwhelmed by it. And with Anthony, I've seen that there was a GoFundMe uh, set up afterwards, and I saw the response to that and how it exceeded any sort of initial targets and is definitely the right way to give him a better life. And that must be so incredible for him, for you, for the team involved, because it's like giving him a second chance. Yeah, I talked to him yesterday, and it's uh, it's more money than he would make at his job in five years. Wow! I mean, it's it's a ton of money. So we're gonna buy him a car. We're we're talking about how to spend it. He's I'm helping him go through that process together. Um, we'll talk about that uh, on uh, on our uh, on our podcast for sure. And like you said, you've got a podcast launching with him as your first episode, which is I'm sure everyone wants to hear more from him. Um, he's not obviously active online or Twitter or anything, so people will now get to hear him again and what he's up to now. But I've seen some of your updates on Twitter and he's doing really well, isn't he? He's studying, he's happy and he's healthy. He's doing great. And he's, uh, he's got a girlfriend. They live together. They're in love. Her family's fabulous. They've accepted him and taken him in as one of their own. I mean, it's just, he's just doing good. And, and when we sit down and talk today, he smiles and he's, 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 he has joy in his life. And, and it's not always, of course, like all of us, but he's, he's got that going on, which is why we want to do a, a video. It's like, why well, I want to show people like, see well watch him smile like see how he's blossoming into this person uh, which i think is really neat to see so i think it'll uh, i don't think it'll be great for people to see him talking 
And that must be the biggest reward. Okay, the case was won in his favor and he's not obviously behind bars and everything else, but just to see him as a different person now, as a a fresh start, a second chance, or however you want to portray it. But the fact is he's happy. Like you said, he's got a girlfriend. He's, you know, he's gonna have a new car, he's gonna have money that he couldn't have even dreamed of. It just feels like there's some good in the world again, you know? Feels like justice. Yeah, like, that's the word. I mean, it's really incredible, man, and it, and it's a uh, um, it's brilliant to have been a part of that, right? To yeah. think that I played a small part in having him have this life. Uh, he's not the only person. I have a number of clients that I that I feel the same way about that we gave them an opportunity at life, and and it. Um, I'm just lucky to have been able to be a part of that. I really am. I feel honored uh, to the just the deepest part of my soul to to be able to do that for people, and I hope to continue that for a very long time. What I do on the podcast, and this is a bit a uh, complete change of tone, but what I do is anyone that comes on the podcast, and it doesn't matter if they're an actor, a director, or in this time, uh, a criminal lawyer, um, I ask the person that's come on the podcast to choose the outro piece of music that is played after this interview today. Now, it's completely out of context, but I've done it with everyone from Anthony Hopkins to Kevin Smith to all these different people. But I want this chance to be yours as well today. So after today's episode is edited and it's gone out there, the world are listening to it. That final piece of music that's played can be any band or any song or just a piece of music that means a lot to you. But what would you like, and I'm putting you on the spot right now, to be played after today's episode as your choice of song? Cat Stevens, Where Do the Children Play? Oh, beautiful. And is there any reason that came straight to your heart straight away? Yeah, there were one of the one of the peaceful times in my childhood that I remember most just listening to headphones, listening to music. And there were three albums that I listened to, Elton John's Madman Across the Water, Jethro Tull's Aqualung, and Cat Stevens' Tea for the Tillerman. And those songs, all of those songs, all of those albums, just uh, <clears throat> they bring a peacefulness to me that that is is still emotionally effective to me today because it's uh, it's where I found silence, it's where I found calmness, it's where I found peace in my childhood, and so they're very special songs to me. That's amazing. The meaning means just as much as a song choice for me. And when I get to hear all these different people give their songs, I've done over two hundred episodes now it then makes me go and listen to that. So I'll edit it, listen, and I'll have like the next two weeks now just listening solidly to Cat Stevens. So that's going to be a good time ahead. Indeed, indeed. Thank you so much. Uh, no thank worries. You. And thank you so much for coming on. And for anyone that's listening right now, uh, this will mean that the podcast is probably out there. So what's the best way for people to find out? Is it to follow you on Twitter or to go on your website? It's Instagram, probably the best yep. uh, place to find me. It's Jared Ambo, at Jared Ambo. And you'll be sharing all your future episodes on there and all the updates and anything else with Anthony that people want to find out will be all on your Instagram. Yep, that's right. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And I'm really looking forward to hearing these interviews coming up very soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Oldest friend, there's no point in hiding. You know I'll find Can't hear the sirens Your day of judgment Is coming on So there it is. There's my interview with me and Jarrett Ambo. This is someone that I absolutely fell in love with when watching this documentary. 
I had so much respect and so much time for him. And then to actually have the opportunity for him to come on the podcast, that respect and admiration has gone on to a whole new level. The way he handled this case and everything that he did for Anthony is something that needs all the respect in the world. There needs to be more people like Jarrett in this world. Honestly, it's an incredible story. And as I said at the start of today, I really want you to go and check this documentary out. It's on Netflix right now. It's been in the top five most viewed things on Netflix across the whole world for the last few weeks. And I urge you, once you go and check it out, please let me know what you think because it's unbelievable. Mark and me has never tackled the subject of true crime and I couldn't be more proud of today's episode and I just want to say again a massive thank you for Jarrett for coming on, giving me such an insight into your world and giving me your time. It's something I appreciate more than you'll ever know. If you've really enjoyed today's episode, all I ask is that you share it. It costs absolutely nothing to do and you can do this on your Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and goes a really long way for Mark and me. All the links are on markandme.com and if you've listened to today and thought, I love this, why not put it on your stories on Instagram? Why not retweet the episode on Twitter or just share it on Facebook? You might think it's just one click of a button, but maybe someone in your timeline has then gone and seen this documentary and wants to hear more from Jarrett. That for me is the best way I can ever get the word of Mark and me out there and I appreciate every single share that I ever see. If you've really enjoyed today's episode, on markandme.com there is also a link to my Patreon page. This is the way that I can keep this podcast going and every penny that comes in via Patreon goes right back into the podcast. I can't do this podcast without that support and I appreciate that times are hard right now. All the bills in the world are going higher and higher and the cost of living is insane. But if you can spare maybe £1 or £2 every month, in return I'll guarantee that you get two episodes of Mark and Me. Not only that, thanks to my good friends at Richer Sounds, you'll have some amazing prizes that you can win each and every month. I'll reward you as well with an amazing badge as soon as you sign up, some stickers and some exclusive episodes that are coming just to Patreon very soon. Things are getting really busy for Mark and me, and I'm so, so proud of the work that I'm putting out. So I will be back in only a few days with a brand new episode. So until then, look after yourself, take care, Watch I Just Killed My Dad on Netflix and I'll speak to you all very soon.
lush green grass for your lorry loads pumping petrol gas and you make them long and you make them tough but they just go on and on and it seems that you can't get off I know we've come a long way We're changing day to day But tell me, where do the children play? Children play. 